one thing you lack. I was going to ask you a really difficult question this morning. The question I was going to ask is, what wouldn't you give up for $10 million? What wouldn't you give up for $10 million? But instead, I'm going to ask you a different question. I'm going to ask you an even harder question. I want you to think about it for a minute. But I have a story that goes along with this question, too. The question I'm going to ask you this morning is, what wouldn't you give up for someone you love? What wouldn't you give up for someone you love? As many of you know, this past couple of weeks, Christina and I celebrated an anniversary. Actually, we celebrated two anniversaries. <laughs> On March 8th, we celebrated our eighth wedding anniversary. Isn't that like something special, you know, 8th on the 8th? Anyway. <laughs> so we celebrated our 8th wedding anniversary. It doesn't seem that long, does it? Not hardly. But we also celebrated another anniversary. We celebrated our ninth engagement anniversary. We were engaged on the 10th of March in 2008. And uh, almost a year later, we were married on the 8th of March in 2009. So I just want to tell you just for a minute, if you'll, if you'll humor me for a minute, I'll tell you a little bit about uh, our story. As many of you know, Christina lived in Washington State with her family. She lived there with her mom and her dad and her grandmother just next door. And her brother, although he was kind of here and hither and yon, but he was there. Family was all together that lived there for, had lived there for many years. She had quite a number of friends in the Northport Church, and a lot of young missionary families who were getting ready to go overseas or had gone overseas and come back with wonderful and incredible mission reports. Her very best friend, Kimberly, lived just a few miles away, and she would go over there whenever she got a chance, over to her house. and They would play music together. She would play on her violin, and Christina would play the piano. Christina played the piano for church. There were a lot of people in the church that liked to have deep spiritual discussions, and of course, Christina's all in for whether we're playing music or having deep discussions, fun times together, pizza parties, playing music. She lived in a comfortable home, though her family did not always have, have lots of money. By the time she graduated from college uh, with her father as an optometrist, they lived quite comfortably, and in fact, uh, her father was in the middle of building a large addition onto their family home. And uh, from my understanding, it was told to Christina that she could live in that addition as long as she wanted to, and it would be like her own house there right next to mom and dad's house. Well, it sounds like quite a fine life until this poor guy comes along from Kentucky. Computer nerd, lives in his parents' back bedroom, in a little house, 900 square foot house, just outside of a no-name place called Somerset. <laughs> He's a budding entrepreneur, building a business in Somerset, building a computer business, but uh, other than being able to buy a car doesn't, and put himself through college, doesn't have a lot more to show for it. And so begins this long-distance relationship. Long phone calls, emails... Instant messenger, long trips across the country to see each other. I think she came this direction a lot more than I went 
that direction. But and our love grew for each other, and uh, I I have to say I fell in love with Christina long before she ever had any idea that uh, there was any kind any kind of special interest there, but. By the time she found out that there was a special interest there, it didn't take long for the love to be mutual. And so it grew, and the conversations on the phone were longer, and the emails were longer, and more frequent. And and sooner or later, the time came to ask the question, Will you marry me? And what do you think she said? I was so glad she said yes. I I was so glad she said yes. I don't know why she said yes. (laughs) Still don't, but I'm glad she did. But, you know, we we started having some more serious discussions. Well, if we are going to get married, that's a pretty pathetic marriage. We kind of, we both knew it. We didn't have to talk about this part. It's a pretty pathetic marriage if I live here and you live there, Right. I mean, that's kind of a pathetic... I mean, you can't really have a, a marriage when you're 3,000 miles away. I mean, some people do it, okay? But that that's not what we wanted. So I was like, well, you know, I can move to Washington, I don't, you know, but I've got a computer business here. And I, I was like, but I I love you enough. I told Christine, I love you enough. I'll leave it behind and we'll... But you know what she said? In spite of all the things that she had going for her there in Washington State. She's like, I'll move to Kentucky. It's like she didn't bat an eye. She's like, I'll move to Kentucky. I want to be with you so much that I'll give up my friends, give up my church family, give up my immediate family, and move 2,500 miles across the country to live in a little no-name place somewhere in southeast Kentucky. At that time, we didn't even know it was in Macquarie County. (laughs) (laughs) she might have been more scared I don't know what do you think what wouldn't you give up for love you know we find this story in the Bible in Mark chapter 17 that's where our scripture reading was taken from you know the story the children were coming to Jesus sitting on his lap and Jesus was blessing the children he said, let the, let the children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. And as he got up and he was, he was leaving the place, it says, now as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him, kneeling down and asking him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This young man He was a scholar. He was a ruler. He was wealthy. He had a lot of possessions and he had a lot of potential in life. And as he came to Jesus, he had seen how Jesus loved the children. He'd seen how he interacted with the children. He'd seen the peace on the faces of Christ and his disciples and those who were close to him. And he wanted that. Despite all of the possessions that he had, he wanted something that he knew only Christ could give him. And so he came to Jesus, and Jesus had just been talking about the kingdom of God. And so he says, Jesus, 
What can I do to be part of this kingdom, to have this eternal life? Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to him here in in, uh, verse 18. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. You see, Jesus is testing this young ruler here. The ruler comes and says, Good master, Jesus says, What do you really think of me? Do you think that I am just a good rabbi, a good teacher? Or do you really recognize who I am? Do you really recognize that I am truly the Son of God? What do you think of me? Friends, when we come to Jesus, what do we think of him? How do we picture Jesus' character in our lives? Jesus says, Why do you call me good? There is none good but God. You see, the ruler here had a pretty high opinion of himself. Really, in his heart, he thought, I'm pretty good. There's not that much I need. Even though he recognized that there's something Jesus has that I don't have, he kind of wanted to be kind of like those children. Go up there, maybe sit on Jesus' knee. Well, maybe not literally, but bow down before Jesus, and Jesus would put his hand on him, and poof, he would have this blessing, and he would have this peace, and then he could go on about his life. That's what he wanted. But Jesus had something else in mind. Verse 19, if turn there if, if you don't already have, uh, have that open. Mark chapter 10, verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. He quotes the, uh, the Ten Commandments, the last several commandments there. And, they, and he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. I'm a pretty good person, Jesus. I've kept, I've, I've honored my father and mother, I've never stolen anything, I've never murdered, I've never committed adultery. I've never even told a lie. I'm a pretty good person, Jesus. All these things I have kept from my youth. What lack I yet? And in that moment, Jesus looks this young ruler in the eye. And you know that kind of exchange that you have when you look someone in the eye and it's like words can't even describe all of the exchange that takes place. Jesus looks into that that young ruler in the eye and it's as if he's reading that man's character. What kind of stuff are you made of? One thing you lack, says Jesus. One thing you lack. Go and sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross and follow me. Whoa. One thing. See, Jesus Jesus was drawn to this young man. He loved this young ruler. The Redeemer longed to help this young ruler discern, to really understand his true character. This young man says, I'm pretty good, Jesus. 
I have kept all of these commandments. I'm pretty good. I don't need a whole lot. I just need a little bit more. But Jesus wanted to teach him, no, on the contrary, you need a complete change. You need a humble heart. You need to repent. You need to have some idea of the true love of God. And when you, in your heart, recognize the love of God, you will hide your own lack in the perfection of Christ. You see, Jesus saw a lot of potential in this young man. Jesus had a number of disciples. Peter. Peter was impetuous. He was a a fisherman by trade. And he never lost that boisterous attitude that he he grew up with. James and John, you know what they were called, right? Sons of thunder. Harsh. But by being molded into the character of Christ, Christ was able to change them. When Christ looked into the face of this young man, he didn't see just one of the common multitude. He saw a gem. Someone who could be a transformative power in the world. Someone he could use to reach the world. This man had intelligence. He had culture. He had learning. And he had dedication. He had everything it would take. If he would only allow Christ to transform his character, Jesus was ready right then and there. In fact, he did. He invited this young man, not just to receive a blessing from him, but to become one of the twelve, one of the special disciples, one of his special followers. One thing you lack, says Jesus. Go, sell the things you have, and then come and follow me. Be one of my special disciples. Jesus read this ruler's heart. The one thing that he lacked was the one thing that was keeping him from the kingdom of God. It was the selfishness of his own heart. What this young ruler didn't even realize was the fact that, really, he had never kept any of the commandments at all. He said, I've kept all these commandments. I've never stolen, never lied, never murdered. But really, he hadn't kept any of them. Because in order to keep any of these commandments, you have to first understand and demonstrate the love of God. And in the selfishness of his heart, he said, Jesus, it's too much. I can't give up what I have to follow you. I could give up a little bit of it. If Jesus had said, give me $100 in the offering plate every week, the man would have said, okay, it's a deal. $100 a week? I mean, I can do that, hands down. I've, I've got money in the bank, Jesus. That's a deal. If it had been $200 a week, sure, no problem. Everything? You mean my house? You mean my career? You mean my place on the council on the, of the nation? You mean my... You mean everything? Jesus, you can't be serious. But on the other hand, I think this young man 
had no conception of what Jesus was offering. A place in his kingdom. A life without end. A guarantee that even though he was following the man who had no place to lay his head, yet bread shall be given him, his water shall be sure. What more could he ask for than a place in the kingdom of Christ? You know, friends, for so many years I've thought, ah, the story of the rich young ruler, what does that have to do with me? I'm not rich. I really don't have much of anything. I mean, to speak of, I mean, yeah, I know some, I know about some rich people. I don't even hardly know any rich people, you know. I mean, that's like a, a, a life totally out there. I mean, you can see it on TV, right? And it's like, whoa. I've got my iPhone and it's like trimmed in gold and it costs $10 million for my iPhone. <laughs> I can't even imagine that kind of wealth. I, I can't relate to the rich young ruler. But friends, I want to ask you something. Was it the, was it the amount of money that was the problem for this young ruler? Was it the amount of things that he possessed? Or is it possible that you and I, common, ordinary people who work for a living and don't know what it means to make a killing, but you and I could relate to this rich young ruler in more ways than we care to admit? I want to go back to the question I asked at the beginning. What wouldn't you give up for love? You know, we hear love stories all the time. I like to talk about our love story. You hear songs. What's that song? I'll waltz across Texas for, you know, love songs. I'll do anything for you. We say it, but do we mean it? The statistics tell us that marriages in the United States, about half of them end in divorce. What happened to that love that was so romantic that it could waltz across an entire state? But I won't do the dishes for you. What about our love for Christ? What wouldn't we do for one who has given his all for you and for me. Jesus gave this man a test. He called the rich young ruler to choose between heavenly treasures and worldly greatness. If this man would give up his earthly treasure and follow Christ, he had the promise backed by the bank of the universe that he would have treasure in heaven that he would have an eternal reward. But he had to die to self. What does that mean to take up one's cross? A cross is not a pleasant thing, friends. I know many Christians who will wear a little necklace or something with a cross. That's not what it means, friends. It's not talking about taking up a little crucifix. It's talking about living a death 
to self. Saying, not my will, but your will be done. No matter how much I want to do this, Lord, I will do that just for you. Even though it seems like I'm throwing away my entire life, my family, my friends, my opportunities, my career, I'll do that for you. See, Christ offered this man not a temporal reward, but a relationship. The privilege of becoming a son of God, an heir to Christ. Did you ever notice the irony in the question that this young man asked Christ? What shall I do that I may inherit? Let me ask you, friends, how do you inherit something? Someone in your family, father, mother, grandparent, dies, and how do you make, what do you do in order to inherit that thing? Well, you don't do anything, really. It's by, na- by merit of the fact that you were related to that person, and that person probably re- wrote your name in their will before they passed away, and you inherited this piece of property or, or something else. Friends, how do we inherit eternal life? Jesus made a will. He says, I will that they also will be with me where I am. He made a will that you and I would inherit eternal life. Did Jesus die? Yes, Jesus died on the cross, but the good news, friends, is he died, and by his death we inherit the life that was his. And by his resurrection, now we can spend that eternal life with him. But by what merit, what can I do in order to inherit? I can't do anything except to accept the offer that he has given of adoption, to place us into his family to be part of his family. And by merit of that relationship with Christ, you and I can inherit the eternal life he has to offer. What must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Friends, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. But in being who who you are, who God calls you to be, It calls for everything that you have. Go and sell everything. Jesus' words to this ruler were the same call that Joshua spoke to the leaders of Israel. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods in the lands where you dwell or the gods that were in Egypt. But as for me and my house, Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. The choice was left with him. Jesus was yearning for his conversion. Jesus showed this man the one spot that was a plague in his character. And now he watched with deepest interest to see what choice he would make. Jesus was not going to force him. If he decided to follow Christ, he had to obey his words. Go and sell what you have and follow me. 
He had to turn from his ambitious projects, turn from his pride, give up his hopes. But oh, how earnestly Jesus longed to see this man turn to him. This ruler very quickly saw and understood the meaning of Christ's words. He realized what Christ had said. It's not just a matter of giving up a little bit here, a little bit there. It's not even a matter of just selling the things that I have now. It's an entire consecration of my life. The ruler understood that. And it says there in verse 22, Sadly, he was very sad at his word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Friends, do you and I have great possessions? I don't mean are we rich. I don't, I'm don't. not asking how much money you have in the bank, how much influence you have in the city council. But in your own heart, how great is that in comparison with the eternal gift Christ has to offer? Is the possession and the things of this life more important than the things of eternity? Christ wanted this man to have heavenly treasure. But instead, the appeal of the temporal advantage of this earth was too great and he went away sorrowful he wasn't willing to make the sacrifice the cost of eternal life was just too much and he went away sorrowful there's an object lesson in this for you and me friends God has given us all a standard that we must obey called the law of God the Ten Commandments it's not merely an outward obedience keep the law keep the Sabbath do this, do that and you'll have eternal life no, it's not what it is it's an expression of the character of Christ his character of love only those who will become co-workers with Christ only those who will say Lord, all I have and all I am is yours, will be acknowledged as sons and daughters of God. We need to consider what that means, to desire heaven, and yet to turn away, because the conditions are too steep. What does it mean to say no to Christ? The ruler said, no, I cannot give you all. Do we say the same thing? Do we, by our lives, tell Jesus, no, I'm sorry, the price is too great? The Savior offers to share with us the work God has given us to do. He offers to use the means God has given us to carry forward the work in the world. Only by going forward with Christ, only by doing the work he's given us to do, can he save us. God gave to this young ruler a lot of possessions. It wasn't something that he'd earned himself. It was a gift from God. Has God given to you and me talents, possessions, influence, opportunities? 
He entrusts them to us so that we can use them for his service. Jesus said to this young man, Go and give these things to the poor. Use your possessions in my service. What about us? Does it seem like it is too great a sacrifice to follow Christ? Is self-surrender too much? Often, it seems as if it's so difficult to cut away the things that are in our own lives. When Christ's followers give back to the Lord the things that are his own, they are accumulating treasure in heaven. And soon, my friends, Jesus will say to those who are faithful, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Who, for the joy who was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, the joy of seeing souls redeemed, souls eternally saved, is a reward to all who will put their footprints in the footprints of him who said, follow me. Friends, who will you follow? Who will you follow today? Will you lay down your treasure, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? Friends, it's the best proposal that anyone ever offered. An eternal relationship with the king of the universe. What will you decide today? Lord, we've come to the crossroads in our life. Maybe a a relationship. It may be a, a job opportunity. It may be a call to service. But Lord, whatever it is, our decision here today is to follow you. No turning back. Lord, may our hearts be committed to you. That unlike the rich young ruler, we may not be sorrowful. We may not ever turn away from you. But always go forward in the confidence of knowing that we are following the one who will never turn back. Bless us now as we go from this place. And may we continue to follow Jesus each and every day as our prayer in Jesus' name.